a series of game changing, really. And so, in part, I don't want that particular message to change because the way we learn is to, to repeat and apply and repeat and apply. Uh, and that's how we go up. And, you know, we're doing a game changing. Last week, uh, Tim spoke about a game changing faith. You know, how faith in our scenario uh, changes our life. Today, I kind of, the Bible says these three great things faith, hope, and love. And I want to talk about the game changing hope. In your life. Now, um, not many of us knew the name of Jordan Pickford uh, a few weeks ago. You know, in fact, he's probably the most Googled name footballer going on. And even people are going, What team does Jordan Pickford play for? Turns out he is the third most expensive goalkeeper in this country that's ever thing. So it turns out he is quite good, that we just never knew how good he was. And, and the hope of England's kind of dreams came on that moment. And I was sat on a train coming back from London from a meeting, you know, trying to get sketchy uh, signal on my phone, watching it as the, as, the, as the penalties were going in. And then up steps Jordan Pickford, you know, and then that, that, that hand goes up and it's a good, strong hand as they commentated set up and England went through. You go, Aaron, that's so old news, that's Wednesday. I watched yesterday's game, and that wasn't as exciting, but we did uh, go through. Game-changing, somebody or something that, that affects the result of the game. There is things that God deposits in our life that affects the game, affects your game, comes in and changes you. And it's important that we understand these game-changing moments in our life. And say, so I'm going to take that, because sometimes there are people... Sometimes they're examples, sometimes they're school teachers, sometimes they're parents, sometimes they're friends, sometimes they're pastors, sometimes they're pace team members. They come into our life and they go, we are just going to speak life into you and I'm going to change your game. You know, we've seen you change our game and we've seen your game being changed. At the same time, as this, this incredible thing that God is going. This message is for you guys as well. You know, that never give up. There's something in you that we just kind of just pushed and activated and we just want to release you into the rest of God that it got hat for you. But three things last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Have you ever asked the question what the difference is between faith and hope? Um, because when the Bible uses it, it uses them together. And they kind of sound similar in when you start to talk about it because uh, they're like brother and sister as far as words go. They're different, but they've got similarities. So if you go to your dictionary, faith is a confidence or trust in a person or a thing or a belief, whereas hope is the anticipation of future good. You know, faith is the confidence or trust, you know, and so the, the difference is the faith is the here and now. When you are going through a situation and you go, what is my confidence, what is my trust, what is the here and now, you need faith. But let me tell you why hope let me put a case in that hope is better. Hope is about a life of knowing, you see, because you can't see hope in today. You only see it in your future. It is a future anticipation of future good. There's something about hope. When we're going through tough times, you know, when we hit challenges, when we hit struggles, when things don't turn out the way we expected, if you have hope, you will keep going. If you have faith, you know what to do there and then. If you have hope, you can see way beyond how many of us sometimes in tough times lose our vision. 
We lose our perspective. We lose, you know, everything seems so real and so massive and so huge in this place. And yet the, the hope comes into our life and gives us that way forward. If you want to do an image, for those who are image thinkers, uh, hope is about our stepping stones at elementary school. You know, our primary school, you know, we've all been on stepping stones of this big river. Hope, and if you look at our life, is that this is this constant thing, and you'll see the track of the stones throughout your life, and you keep going because I'm going to get to the other side. I'm going to push through this. That's what hope does. Faith is the graduation ceremony. Faith, you know, what is when you graduate, if you take this word of hope, and you walk out of this, and you live it every single day, that, and you, you graduate. When you graduate, you don't just get a certificate. You don't just get a gown. You don't just get you know, a hat. That, that, that doesn't change your life. Do you know what you get when you graduate? You get knowledge. It's been, it's been birthed in you. It's been planted in you. You get given skill sets of, of research and study and application. If you never use that skill set ever again, there is no point graduating. Because we use it as this public accolade, but actually the celebration of our learning is when we deposit something in our life. So faith is graduation, hope is the stepping stone of our life. We took um, the pace into um, Alton Towers theme park. And uh, who's ever been to uh, a theme park? Just put your hand up. So I hadn't been one for quite a long time because I'm getting old now and I kind of wondered how I'd be able to keep up with the team because they're just like young whippersnappers, you know, and... Um, <laughs> I reckon I can still run just as fast, just keep going, you know, drove the bus, that's how old I've got, I now get to drive the bus, uh, and you know, and go on the rides, we had a great day, but the difference, if you want to look between faith and hope, it can be illustrated like the joy a child feels when the father tells the child that they're going to go to an amusement park, okay, and the child believes that it will go to the amusement park, and based on the father's word, that's faith. Based on the Father's word of tomorrow, this is going to happen. The child gets ready. That is faith. At the same time, the belief within the child kindles an inexpressible joy. That is hope. So there is faith in the word that it will happen, but there's joy in the experience. There's something about hope that brings joy out of the experience. Okay, You can be full of faith in life and have no joy. Did you know that? Have you ever met them? I'm so focused on living God's plans and purposes and I'm going to do it if he's going to kill me and kill you. And you go, yeah, you're on your own. But hope, when you see someone who has hope, their eyes are alive with a fire of I am in this joyful anticipation. The Bible talks about our hope in Jesus Christ that he will come again. And if you have hope in Jesus, you are looking forward, not just to Monday. Not just to next week, but you're looking into eternity. You know, your father has said, we're going to go onto this amusement arcade called eternity. And we go as Christians, we believe that. And we have faith to believe in heaven. But if you have hope, you start to get excited about it now. Which is really key, by the way, because where this message of hope goes, it goes into our darkest places. It goes into our biggest struggles because let me tell you, what do you need in your darkest place and your biggest struggles? You need hope. You need, wow, this is just for a season. This is just for a moment. God is going to take me out. Faith is grounded in the reality of the past. Hope is looking for the reality of the future. Without faith, there's no hope. Without hope, there's no true faith. 
The two work together. I want them to get them as dance partners in your life so that you're full of faith and you are full of hope. And the character I want to draw your attention to in the Bible who really evidences a life of hope because he walks through the whole long journey and maintains his belief despite the difficulties and challenges is Joseph. So you can find Joseph in the Old Testament, you know, and he's, found, he's given quite a big section of the Bible. So Genesis chapter 37 to Genesis chapter 50. We're not going to read it, by the way, just to let you know that would take the whole time and more so. But that is his story. It's an incredible story of that. I, I want to summarize it if I can and do a best version. 17 years old, Joseph comes into a realization that God has got a plan for his life. His dad loves him incredibly. The reason for it is because Joseph's mom took him ages to have kids. So much so that and he, and he was, his mom was the love of his dad's life, thought they couldn't have kids until Joseph came, promised child. He also had other wives and other children, so he's one of 12 boys. But Jacob, his dad, has to wait for the love of his life to give birth because she's barren. God opens a room and Joseph is a product. He's a living miracle. How many of you have met living miracles? They're really irritating, aren't they? They let you, if they let you know that. You know? And the sad thing for Joseph on his backstory is that you know, he has a brother called Benjamin. You know, almost from the, from the love wife, you know, Rachel. And, and then she dies in the act of childbirth. So he's growing up without the love of his mother. And, and at 17, he has this download experience with God. And God picks him out and says, you were not an accident. I'm going to use you to change a nation. If you've, read, if you've seen the musical, you know, it's, uh, he gives them the image of the stars and the wheat sheaves and they worship down. And Joseph, how many of you know 17-year-olds have an incredible amount of confidence but their understanding is yet to be developed? Have you noticed that? You're looking at me like, no, that's so not true, that's so not right. So you get a download, right, that all your brothers and sisters are going to bow down to you. Now, you love that message, don't you? There's something about that message, isn't it? You know, and off he goes, 17-year-old, guys, guys, come around. God spoke to me. And they all gather around. He goes, you guys are going to bow down. Why are you not smiling? Because your brother does not like that information. There's not that prophetic word. And so much so, it's so bad, there's jealousy that builds up. They take him. And when they're out in the fields, they, they kind of rip off this like special coat that his dad had given him, you know, which is a sign of his favor and his blessing, and they dump him in a pit. They rough him up too. They chuck him in the bottom of the well. See, hope comes into the places in our life at the bottom of the well, and I often wonder when God speaks into our life and we have that faith, you have spoken your word, it will come to pass. And how many of you have found yourself at the bottom of a well? It is not dry at the bottom of the well. All right, there's no deck chair there's no Wi-Fi, all right? Just to let you know, that is just how bad it is. There is no Wi-Fi at the bottom of the well. It's just mud in those chairs. He sat there. His life is up. It's dark. It's damp. And then, and then they have a change of heart. And this is where the story goes, oh, let, let's not do this. This is really bad. Let's sell him into slavery. They sell him for 20 pieces of silver, by the way, which is a, a 33% reduction on the normal rate for a normal slave. So they sell him cheaper that just to get him off their hands and he, he's taken off you know, by these slave traders and he's sold into a, a slave house and he becomes a servant of a man called Potiphar. And here he does well, you know, and he's probably, I wonder with this hope of Joseph, I wonder if he's gone, well, gee, it, it was really bad. It couldn't have got any worse, could it? Praise God that he got me out of the pit and I'm now a slave. How many of you can see the growth in that? 
Most of us were thinking, I'm a slave. I used to be a son in the house. I used to have a nice coat, you know, and things like that. Uh, just all about perspective, isn't it? Depends where your reference point is of where you've come from, you know, and your comparison. But they take him out of that in these slaves. And, and he, the Bible says he's really fit. Now, you're looking at me like I'm really fit. I know that. He's fitter than me, you know. And um, one of the guys in the church who's come, Max, is in. I just kind of always joke with him. Max has got a job at a scaffolding. And uh, as the weeks have gone by, and uh, he's just getting fitter and fitter because he's did all day, he's having to lump scaffolding bars, you know, and things like that. Well, this is Joseph's frame, and Potiphar's wife suddenly looks at Joseph and goes, aye, aye. Yeah, I, I know that feeling, I get it all the time. I'm joking, by the way. <clears throat> and she, she makes a move on him. The incredible thing about Joseph, you know, in this, he holds his integrity. Bear thanks. I serve one true God. You are Potiphar's wife. It's just off the limits. So much so, he gets so bad, and she wants him so much that she frames him for rape. And so he goes from the pit to be a slave, and then he gets him put in prison for two years. I don't know if you're a person who doubts the word of God ever. I mean... There are moments, and often doubts come when we're in our worst places. Doubts never come in good places. They come in our worst, our dark places. And in the prison, I wonder if there's that, that nagging voice. Do you ever get that nagging voice of doubt? So, Joseph, you like those stars? Going to bow down? Yeah. How did you get it so wrong? It was because you were proud. Because you declared that. That's why you're here in this place, and that's why you're in prison. You know, the devil's really good at speaking through people in our lives, saying you will never amount to anybody. Some of us can hear a parent even now or a teacher, you will never amount to anything. And, 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 and they're judging us based on the line of where we are. But I, I, I know something about God because God does not speak that because God has a plan and a purpose. And God deposits hope in Joseph's life. And there he is, and this is, he has a relationship with God all the way through this, because when he's in the prison, and two of his cellmates have a dream, or they're thrown in there, you know, because of they've, they've offended the Pharaoh or, you know, at the time, and they're in, they're in his buddy mates. And then the Pharaoh has a dream. He interprets their dreams. They have dreams, and they're quite strange dreams. I don't want to go into the details of them, but one of them works out really good. One's a really great dream. You know, and one of them's not, you know. So I, I love this character of Joseph. If two people going, oh, here's a dream, would you interpret for me? And, and then he goes, yeah, let me just pray about that. And God, well, this dream is going to be, you're just going to be restored back into the palace, and that's fantastic. And I wonder if there's the other guy in the corner going, oh, I had a dream too. What does my dream mean? And he's got this strength of revelation of knowing God that he doesn't just bow to go, oh, this is a nice message too. But what he says is, not going to work out well for you. What, what character he's got in the prison. How many of us learn to hear the voice of God in our prisons? Let me tell you why this is key. Because if he had not have learned that discipline of listening to the voice of God in his prison, he would not have got out of that prison. Because what was the key to the prison? The key was that he heard from God. Because in sharing that revelation, when the restore gets back into the king's palace and the king has a dream about the whole nation of Egypt and a famine that's coming, the king's going, what does this mean? The guy who's been restored, his prison cellmate, who's now back in the palace, all cleaned up, suddenly goes, hang on a minute, there is a, my mate, he can interpret dreams and he's locked up. 
He did it for me. Tells the story. And Pharaoh says, well, bring him up. There's an incredible scripture in Psalm 115, 105, that says at the right time, God moved Pharaoh to release Joseph from the prison. I want you to understand when it comes to hope, there are different seasons and places of our life. Sometimes we're at home and nice, looking good in the nice coat. Sometimes we're down a pit. Sometimes we're serving routine, just serving somebody else's vision in Potiphar's house. Sometimes we're getting accusations thrown against us that are not true. Sometimes we're being misunderstood and we're locked up in prison and we can't get out. They're, they're, they're symbolic of different seasons that we all go through in life that we can identify with. But let me tell you, at the right time, God knows where you are. God knows what he's doing in your life. And he's building something. And he's growing Joseph to be a, a leader. He becomes a vice president of Egypt. As a foreigner, he becomes a vice president of another country. And God has schooled him and educated. It started here at 17. And by 28, 11 years, because we accelerate this part of his life, you know, it's an 11-year journey that that journey is, and God is growing him, and he's positing hope in there. You don't know you've got hope until you hit dark days. Because here's the thing what hope does. Hope holds us for the long haul. It keeps you going. It, it keeps you, even in the pit, there's something inside of your spirit that says, don't stop believing. Keep going. This, this joy. You know, God, I know you've called me. I know, even before all of this, you said that I would rise up. My trust is in you, not in myself. And, and he journeys through the hope, and he was in it for the long haul. Some of us, so many get focused in on it's just about today. It's just about my daily bread. It's just about my daily needs, you know. And if God doesn't turn on my daily needs, I, I'm, I'm out of here. And we deal with God. When we were told that our youngest son had autism, and wouldn't develop in the same rate, or, or, and there would be all sorts of significant challenges, and we're coming to terms with that, and we're in church, and we believe that God heals. We believe in breakthrough, you know, and, and that's what faith says, God will heal. Hope says God will heal one day. There is a difference in the journey, you know, and we, as we face that, we sat down and said, God, this is the deal. We will never put Nathan's freedom of thought over your existence. Because you are bigger than our life. Sometimes we do hold God to ransom. I will believe in you if you do this. You do not exist if you do not do what I said. Do you know what that does? That makes you God. You know, I don't know if you ever realized that, but we do in our flesh, in our humanity, our flesh starts to rise up above God. We need to know that we're in it for the long haul, that God actually says, my grace is sufficient for you. And we are living testimonies of God's grace, right? We are experts at sleep deprivation. Who'd have thought Rachel could look so good on the little sleep that she gets? It is a living miracle. The patience, the character, it all comes because inside of her, there is a hope in God that never gives up. Because hope takes us, it's like fuel in a long distance lorry. You put it, it will take you. It's the vehicles that we use that take us the furthest and, you know, long-distance lorry drivers just go and go and go. Do you know what? Hope will do that. But also hope is a light in our dark days. In the bottom of that pit, we need God's light to shine. You know, and in Joseph's um, dark days, he found the light.
We can use this to a modern-day story of Joseph, by the way. By, we, we know him by the name of Nelson Mandela. He was a South African anti-apartheid revolutionary political leader, philanthropist, served as the president for, from 94 to 99. Um, his government focused on dismantling apartheid, and we know his story. Well, we think we know. 1964, he began his prison sentence at Rodden Island. It was a former leper colony for the insane. For 27 years, he would be known as prison number 4664. Day after day, for 27 years, he labored in the limestone quarry, chipping away at right rock under bright sun, and without the benefit of eyewear, he fertilely destroyed his tear ducts, which robbed him of his ability to cry. The world wondered when he was released how he would respond. Would he rage about the world and the oppressive system that had imprisoned him? Would he express regret for the suffering and convictions that had caused him? Instead, he said this, to go to prison because of your convictions and prepare to suffer for what you believe is something worthwhile. It is an achievement for a man to do his duty on earth irrespective of consequences. Mandela taught the world how to forgive. How can you last 27 years breaking up rocks? Because you have hope in a better day. If you just do a study of his quotes and how inspirational he gives, the greatest glory, he said, in living lies not in never failing, but in rising every time we fall. How many of you are going through something right now in the pit and you don't know whether you've got the strength to cope? You don't know whether you've got it within you to get through. God is a God of hope and can place within your soul the ability to see the future and anticipate future good, even in the pit. How many of us need a God that deposits that in us? We're all asking for salvation of a journey. God, to rescue us. Do you know what a better prayer is? Place hope within me right now. Hope will see you through. Hope will allow you to bounce back. It gives you the ability, you know, if you play golf, and uh, I love kind of this the slow-mo photography by which they've taken a picture of a golf ball. It's really hard, by the way. If I took a golf ball and threw it at your head, it would hurt. But, you know, and, and they kind of line it up, and the slow-mo photographer put it on, and somebody hits it, you know. And, and the, the golf ball is designed to absorb the pressure, and, and, and it goes out of shape. But it's designed to ping back, and there's a word we're using now, um, particularly in the news, and the police are using this, called resilience. Resilience means the speed or the ability that you have to bounce back to your original shape. You know, what God has designed us to do is not to be free of struggles in our life, but when struggles come, that they do knock us a little out of shape, but we're just going to go bounce back. And, and you see this all the time with Joseph. He's a bounce back. You can hit me down in the pit, but I'm coming back. You can sell me as a slave, but I'm coming back. You can put me in the prison, but I'm coming back. Let me tell you, right, people cannot take your light out of the inside from what God has put in there. There is no circumstance on this earth that can rob the light that is inside. John, I am so happy for you and Bethany today. I genuinely am. I love your story. Not because it's pain-free, but because you found God. Genuinely, if you knew John's story... If you knew what had gone through, he's got every reason to say, God, you are not there. Where were you? He could put cards just out of his pocket, you know, left, right, and center. That's not just a kind of pin up. But he's found something in worship. Inside of him, he's found a God that works in the brokenness. 
which I, I love, right? Because in the pits and in the slaves, that's the God I'm telling you about today. That's the God who brings hope in your life. Finally, never give up. Hope gives you this ability to never give up. Never give up. Winston Churchill is attributed with a speech that says, never, never, never give up. It's a misquote, by the way. He said, never give in. Actually, people reckon he said it, you know, but he, he, get, he says it as his own school. He gets up his old school harrow, and, and he just talks about it. And, and right in the middle of the Second World War, he speaks to schoolboys about it doesn't matter the oppression, and the speech is 20 minutes long. It's an incredible speech. You can get it online just to read it, and it's just in the middle of it is this seven words, never, never, never give up. And there's something about this, have this persistence. And let me tell you, the hope puts within you, never give up. If you're studying, it gets hard, never give up. If you remember that, giving you a hard time, never give up. If you're going to the doctors because there's tests that you're going through, never give up. If you're looking for a job and you can't find a job, never give up. Do not listen to what the world will say about you while you're down. Listen to what God is saying who's calling you up. God is pulling you out of this. I want to finish if I can. Not by throwing this at you. I'm just collapsing it. <laughs> there's a film, it's a Christian film, by the way, called Facing the Giants. Uh, and I just want to finish with this clip. Because um, I, I've, I've watched this a few times, and I, I found it at the weekend. And um, I like the film. And I, if you ever wonder what God is like, God is the coach in this world. And if you've got a familiarity with what the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit's the coach too. And um, I just want you to imagine yourself as Brock, all right? Is that okay? You know, there's a point in a football training match that you don't want to be next in that. I really generally, I want kind of just to take a moment, if I can, just for us to pray before God. You know, so if you just close your eyes, just bow your heads before him. We speak to you here in the church full of life, full of hope, while you pray. 